Hello and welcome to another episode of Roy's Cast, the Ridings of Yorkshire Society podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Farley, and with me is... Sam Wright. So I'm going to take a, a lead on today's episode because we've got a, a special episode of Roy's Cast today because it's a, it's a joint collaborative episode with uh, what I personally think is one of the most exciting heritage projects anywhere in, in the country. I'm fortunate enough to get, a, to get a guest episode on today, and it's with the whole Maritime Project. So this is going to be a collaborative episode, as I've said, and it will go out as part of the Maritime Tales Week. Um, so we'll have the full audio of this episode on our channels and then the companion pieces of a, a video version of the podcast, slightly condensed, will go out on the Maritime Project's uh, social channels. So as I said, we're very pleased to welcome Gillian Osgoby from the whole Maritime Project, the project director. So welcome. Thank you very much for coming on Hello. today. Hello. Nice to meet you. Firstly, thanks for agreeing to do this with us. It's great that we've been able to set up an episode to have you on. Yeah, any opportunity to tell people more about what we're doing as well is, you know, an opportunity that we would always grab because it's really important part of any project like this that people are, you know, the focus of understanding what we're doing and why and really the significance of the heritage in which we're protecting through the project. So I think really the, the obvious first the obvious first question to start with is what is Hull Maritime for those that are those that don't know or are from outside the city? Sure, yeah. Hull Maritime is an investment of over £30 million protecting Hull's maritime heritage assets, um, but also about um, placing Hull where it is now and also thinking about where Hull's heading in the future in terms of the city itself, but also its relationship to the sea um, and its maritime connections. So within that, there's the investment in the infrastructure itself. So the Maritime Museum and Dock Office Chambers next door. So Maritime Museum um, is having a full refurbishment. Um, it's now sort of in the real building work stage. So the, um, the collections have been moved out and the building has been turned into really a blank canvas for us to create a really modern um, museum there, but also something for everybody. And next door is a Dock Office Chambers, which will be our bespoke storage um, facility um, for the reserve collection. The North End Shipyard has a new passive house visitor centre there, which will then also become the permanent home for Arctic Corsair. And then the project's also refurbishing our two historic ships, so the Arctic Corsair and Spurn Lightship, um, which are currently at Dunstan Shipyard, um, having significant refurbishment works. And then there's wet dock works um, within Hull Marina for the, the Spurn Lightship to come back to. And then from all lottery funded projects they also have a full um, community engagement and activity plan and strategy and um, which includes events for people to become involved in the project and learn more about it um, but also opportunities for volunteering and general education in terms of um, formal and, and informal learning opportunities so it's a really varied um, scheme um, that challenges us every day but in the most amazing way it's a privilege to work on it um, and it's an opportunity to really shine a light on Hull's past and what made it Hull what it is today but also um, protecting those assets for the future and, and making sure that you know that they are there for the future so yeah it's a, a real privilege to work on. Yeah I think well, as, a, as a maritime historian and an absolute maritime nerd like myself it's so exciting to to be working in the city and seeing all this stuff going on and it's it's i mean it's like nothing i've ever seen before in terms of the scale of it it's i mean i visited the maritime museum last week and it's the the scale of the operations that's going on there are just incredible but i think i think you mentioned their uh, heritage lottery funding so i don't think you want to talk a little bit more about how how the project itself is funded and how important things like heritage lottery funding have been to help us 
create this sort of project in the City Light Hall? Yeah. So the project's funded um, between Hull City Council and the National Lottery Heritage Fund, and they're a really key partner in this. Um, so they've put in over £13 million themselves, um, and the rest is from the council. Um, they recognise, as well as us, so we've had quite a lot of lottery funding um, in Hull with Pearson Park and Beverly Road and um, Guildhall Time Ball, National Picture Theatre. So we're really lucky in that we've had really good support from the lottery um, across all of our heritage projects, but Hull Maritime is the biggest investment um, by quite a significant amount. Um, but actually also for the north of England, you know, the, the size of grant that we received from the lottery was really significant. And it means that we can do these major works and we can do them together and make a package of investment that adds value and supports each, each individual asset or location supports themselves through an, an experience, a visitor experience, rather than, I mean, we could have just bid for the Maritime for, Museum, for example, but that doesn't draw in the um, visitors in the same way that it will do when you add all the other sites together um, and tell that story more collectively um, rather than just through the museum's collection. It's all got to support each other, being able to <coughs> protect Arctic Corsair and, and get a much better visitor experience on that itself and they get same from Spurn Lightship it's all about that sort of um, that mass investment that makes it a, f a visitor experience rather than just a visitor attraction yeah I think it's one of the things that I immediately noticed when I first sort of saw the plans for the for the project is it spreads almost all across sort of the old town it covers that whole area and you moving around the old town to see all the sites and it's it's key that that's been at the center trying to make not just a site it's it encompasses the history of the place yeah. as well as the little, like you say, a, a single attraction like a maritime museum or something like that. Yeah, we, we call it placemaking, um, you know, placemaking or place shaping. Um, and it is about thinking about one visitor economy, because visitor economy is, you know, lucrative for, for places. So bringing people in that they don't just come to the deep and then head back on the A63, that they come and they actually potentially would want even an overnight stay or, you know, a weekend stay. Um, it's about, you know, critical mass of act activity and interest um, within the city. Um, so that's a really important part of it. It's about thinking about then how visitors move around the city and where they go to. Once they've done the Maritime Museum, where do they go to? And so Queen's Gardens are being invested in in terms of um, the structure, you know, the maritime past of Queen's Gardens is a really important part of this story. So it's a sort of sister project to Hull Maritime, but it also means that people are guided to the North End Shipyard through Queen's Gardens. Um, then they get to Queen, uh, North End Shipyard and they experience a new visitor attraction there, which is, you know, it's quite a sorry state, that area of, of um, the old town at the minute. And I think that investment will really make a difference in terms of protecting an asset there, but making the most of it. You know, a lot of people, I don't even think, realise North End Shipyard even exists in that part of the, you know, and the River Hull. A lot of us, you know, the part of the project is recognising that as a city, we've turned our back to the River Hull and the sea and focused quite more about, you know, the, the structure of the city really as a city centre. And we have a green infrastructure, um, green-blue infrastructure, um, that we have, you know, through Queen's Gardens, the green infrastructure heading to the like the value of blue infrastructure in terms of the river and the sea. Um, so that's that's part of it. Gets the North End Shipyard, understand about the you know the heritage of um, the Arctic Corsair, and then you move round potentially either through the Old Town with the Museum's Quarter or through to Humber Street and that area. And we've just started working more collaboratively with South Blockhouse Project because again it's another part of Hull's maritime past and history that probably is quite 
unknown or not as well known as it should be. And then connecting back through to the marina where the sperm night ship's going to be and then back to the maritime museum. So there's a circular route that people can take as well. And it encompasses so many different parts of Hull's maritime past within that experience. Yeah, I mean, as I say, it's the, it's the scale of it that, that got me straight away. And it's just fantastic to see it all linking. And the links that you get to see building together and sort of getting people to move and see these places is... It's, it's one of my favourite parts about the project, really, is getting people into that area of Hull. Yeah. I suppose the next real point is is where where is the project at as we sit here talking today? But where are we at in terms of the major the major sites and the major attractions that we're developing, but also in the other smaller scale things that we're doing that you're doing? Yeah, well, we're in the thick of it to be honest. Is where we're at. It's um, it is really um, in the very much in the delivery mode now. So all of the feasibility work has been delivered in terms of the design work and the the planning and pre-planning is all um is all in place now so now it's about making it happen and um, so the key thing that if those that are in queen victoria square or anywhere in the city center you'll see the maritime museum is covered in white wrap with scaffolding at the minute that is sort of nine months into the process of the refurbishment of the building itself and um, so all of the 1960s museum fittings and fixtures have been stripped out um, the new lift shafts been created the roof work has been completely it's been completely re-roofed um, accessibility has been thought about in terms of how each of the spaces are accessed um, so yeah the, it's that's Simpsons of York that's delivering that and we've got a fantastic relationship with them in terms of what they're delivering on site and, and really protecting that building in terms of the work that's happening but also really building, bringing the building to life because a lot of those 1960s um, museum exhibits that have been put in didn't really let you experience the building itself it's a grade two star listed building it's absolutely beautiful inside and I think taking out a lot of that sort of plywood infill has been able to let the museum itself sing and the building itself I think a lot of people didn't realize it was triangular and there was a big courtyard in the middle that was flooded with flooded the building with light it was a really dark space but now as a really it will be a really light and bright space um Dock Office Chambers next door has actually finished its refurbishment, so that's a really exciting part. It's the first sort of real bit of building work that's been completed. Um, we've got some you know, very attractive grey boxes effectively inside, but they are ready now to have um, the bespoke racking um, installed. So that'll happen, and then once it's happened, sort of you know, early next year, the museum's collection will come back itself um, into there. And then we just started a few weeks ago on Northland Shipyard Works. So we've got Ashcourt is our contractor there and they're delivering the Passive House Visitor Centre. So um, we're on site there now in the really early stages um, of that, um, refer the, you know, the, work re the works there. Um, and then both ships are at Dunstan's now. So they are a year into the process. We moved them pretty much this time last year um, and they're being delivered simultaneously. So Arctic Corsair and Spurn Lightship are next door to each other. Um, uh, sort of going between wet dock and dry dock depending on what's happening with them um, and they're in fantastic hands there with with their refurbishment and then we're at tender stage now there's a lot of you know complicated procurement processes going on for the um sperm light ship um wet berth which will be delivered in the marina before she can come back and 
um, be put back in her permanent wet birth there next to Merlot Connection. So yeah, there's an awful lot going on, as well as all the community engagement stuff. So we have officers working full time um, on the community engagement side, so formal and informal learning, and then crazy events like Hull Kraken that we did with you know giant 10 meter long tentacles coming out of buildings, um, just shouting about the project in any way that we can really, and and getting people involved and included in it. So it's and it's been a really important part through all of that is developing uh, that volunteer base as well so we have you know guided tours that happen through um volunteers that are now accredited to deliver really high quality walking tours um and it's starting now to think about training them up for when the um, sites and museums start to open back up again so it's a really really busy team um but it's you know it, the, it's a fantastic opportunity to work collaboratively across the team as well in delivering the like, restoration work and the refurbishment work but also about making sure that people understand why it is that we're doing what we're doing yeah and i suppose linking to the why we're doing what we're doing I suppose it's the, the worst possible question you can get for a project that the, the, is the scale of full maritime but where, what time scale are they looking at, move, are you looking at moving forward? Because I know the past two years, as we all are well aware, have not been the easiest to do any sort of working mm -hmm. whatsoever. So, I mean, how does the project cope with that and how, how, do, how has that affected timescales moving forward in terms of delivery opening and things like that down the line? More than anything, um, what it's done is rather than having a linear program where we would have delivered one uh, item then moved on to the next and moved on to the next, it's... Um, sort of collapse them on and so now they are happening simultaneously so um that is more challenging for the team because we're just busier um but it also gives us actually quite a buzz about the project so you know we've for example last week we had a press call at the maritime museum to see um progression happening there and then this morning we've had the spurn lightship being painted that's only a week apart of major activity that's happening on the project so it gives our you know anna our comms lead a bit more of a challenge in terms of and keeps her very very busy um, but effectively, really, the timescales have slipped slightly because of COVID. The pandemic definitely had an impact over those two years. Um, we're now looking at early 25 for the museum to be open. Um, but there will be lots happening in between. So next year, much more work will be happening on the North End Shipyard. The ships will come back into the city centre again. Um, there's still a lot of work in terms of in interpretation that has to happen once they've come back but key activity like seeing them come back down the Humber again will happen so um, it's making sure that there is regular activity and people are being regularly updated but you know because everything's collapsed down and is much more intense it just means that people are ha seeing things happen a lot more in a compact way and it just keeps us on our toes more than anything to be honest yeah yeah I think it's miraculous that we're actually getting to, sort of to the stage next year where we get to see ships and things return back i think the the day that the corsair returns is going to be a, a, an incredible yeah i mean quite it, i mean i was there i was fortunate enough to be there when when she left alexandra dock and came to dunstan's mm. and it was actually more more an emotional experience actually to be to be you know stood with former trawlermen that would been on the vessel when she was out working yeah so i think it's those sorts of events that are going to be they don't they almost don't feel big to, to people that are outside the project but actually when you see those ships making what are for, for the arctic also probably a, a final voyage yeah yeah there's it's an emotionally charged period as well and i think that's what i picked up certainly from the first time it moved was the emotion and things and the it, so it must be kind of a challenge to handle that emotion when you're looking at those objects things that people have lived on yeah in a way yeah i felt it as well to be honest and it's something that you know i take 
you know very seriously in terms of making sure that that's respected and understood um that was actually my first when arctic corsair moved it was my first week in this role and so for me it was really um my first introduction to really that hearts and minds side of things in terms of like what that ship really meant and listening to those people that had been on 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 board her talking about how she handled and you know what the experience was like and when they were up in the arctic and what it was you know the experience was like on board and that was just from listening in to them chatting to each other so one thing we do um, throughout the project and have done and for those that follow us on social media will regularly see um, we do have um, you know videos and recordings done both of oral history but also video recordings of interviews of these events to make sure that they're recorded because they are once in a lifetime things like Arctic Corsair coming back to dry dock will be an enormous you know moment in time and we need to make sure we've recorded it we need to make sure that we've un- that you know it's there uh, for, for the record of of what happened and why um, but then also, you know, these stories about life on board, that they can't be lost. They're absolutely critical part of our maritime past. Um, and we took really, really seriously as part of the project that we are making sure that they're recorded and understood. It's, it is a really important part of it. Yeah. So I think that gives a, a bit of the audience a bit of an over, overview of what the project is and what, we're, what you're seeking to deliver over the next few years. I suppose a few specific things that we've kind of wanted to talk to you about one in particular is, and you've mentioned it a bit earlier on, is actually how local the project is, not just in terms of the attractions, but also the work that's being done is being delivered on 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 a large scale by local firms, particularly things like Simpsons, who are based in York, and Dunstans are obviously on the waterfront here in Hull. So, how important has that been to keep to have it as a local based project and have local firms working? collaborative with you on these things yeah with any local authority we have to do an open procurement process so um you never know who's going to come forward at the time when you put the tender out um you know you you never know who's going to come forward but um what's been great is the quality of the um, responses to those tender processes have been really strong from local companies um it's you know it's especially for the ships for me um, the potential of her of, of both of them moving out of Hull to be refurbished, I think we would have lost quite a lot of the experience of of that process. Again, with procurement processes, you never know the outcome because it's on the quality of the submission. Um, but Dunstan did an excellent job, especially around the sort of the social value side of it, which is adding um, the people side into any contract. So it's about apprenticeships, um, being able to get hands-on experiences for young people, being able to do site tours, things like the press call that we did today, so that people can actually come. We, you know, we can take our local news and radio stations along there and do some filming and actually you know so local audiences can understand it's really easy to organize that for one practically um but also people engage with it because it is local so you can you know if you drive down the a63 you can see the arctic corsair from the road you can you know i I spot it with my sons when we're driving along they point out mommy there's the arctic corsair you can see it you know that's and you can see those burn light ships lantern so when you can actually see them from the side of the road being refurbished, for me, that's a really important part of it. And and I think that also Dunstans have been able to bring in somebody who actually worked on her um, and who's being involved in it very, very closely managing her refurbishment. He knows her better than anybody. Um, and that means that you've got that personal touch from somebody that really, really appreciates just how special she is. He sailed on her. He looked after her. Um, you know he, he really takes it seriously and he can pass on that knowledge to us so again um, 
we have a full-time comms officer on this project which is amazing not many projects have that and that's an amazing asset to the team Um, and she's had um, you know his recorded his experiences of working on board the ship but then also being involved in restoration work so that whole people side of it is really really important so although it's not in our control to have local firms when we can work with local firms it's something that adds that extra special bit of of to the project so yeah i think i mean this this is fresh in my mind having come to the press call at the museum on on friday last week is actually the the level of detail that contractors like simpsons are going into to look at you know what what particular material needs to use to fill a scroll hole on the ground floor compared to one that needs to be screwed, filled a scroll on the second floor it's that yeah. level of detail that i think so i mean simpsons have, i think have been doing an incredible job from what from the limited time that we saw them last week so i think i don't know what's it been like working with with simpsons as well yeah they i mean they're experts in it and it's absolutely clear that they're experts they you know run you know a fantastically well organized site um each of the subcontractors are selected for their specialist work um they do an awful lot of um you know due diligence to make sure that we're getting the best you know subcontractor possible for example the lead work is absolutely beautiful that's been delivered on each of the domes um and again we've got an on-site stonemason you know top guy that just knows his stuff and is producing some beautiful results so they really take it um seriously and it's uh, and then for us because they take it so seriously we feel that we're in really good hands and have a really good working relationship with them um they got on really well with the consultancy team that we work with so you know we there's there's Mick and myself who are sort of involved in the leading the project delivery side in terms of the capital investment and the, the building works. Um, but we also have a team of um, specialist consultants in terms of contract managers and um, architects and structural engineers. And all of them work really collaboratively together. Uh, effectively, we all want the best for the building. It's grade two starred listed. So you've it's got to be dealt with very, very delicately and very carefully. Um, and it's also about making sure that any of those ad- adaptations that are made um, respect the building itself, um, but also think about um, doing it in in the sort of the best conservation terms possible. So, like you said, like with the filling of where some of it is gypsum and then other stuff is some other you know material to make sure that whatever it's I think it's lime wasn't it that was being used previously that they use the same filler to make sure that it lasts longer and is more sort of sympathetic to the building itself so yeah and then but we've had to do you know enormous things like plow a big hole from the basement all the way to the roof line to put in the new lift but that new lift is absolutely essential in terms of accessibility in the building um so it's about sensitively doing what we can to modernize it but also very very carefully thinking about the significance of the building itself and why we have to care for it i think there's an important point there that you've, you've hit on and one that was immediately apparent to me as we walked around the museum last week was actually how important and how central accessibility has been to everything that the project are doing trying i mean we've said about you know delivering these sorts of conversations to people that don't have access to things like that but how Im- that's obviously been so important to make sure that the, the attractions that you create as part of the project are accessible to as many people as possible so that we can you can share that history across as many people as possible and just maybe if you could talk a little bit about how important accessibility has been in the project it's key it has been yeah yeah so there was two sides to that 
Um, the first side is access to the building itself um, in terms of new experiences. So the whole of the top floor, um, which was once offices and storage space, um, will now be new museum um, exhibition space. But that creates a whole other floor that needs to be accessible. And before there was no lift up there, there was you know, a very, very steep staircase um, that you know, wasn't going to be conducive for large numbers of people moving around the building. Uh, being triangular as well, the building isn't easy to navigate. And it wasn't built as a museum, it was built as dock offices. So it was built to house you know, office um, use. So for that, it doesn't lend itself necessarily to museum. And it's about making the most of those spaces. So some spaces have had to be opened up um, to make it that you can get you know, more quality exhibitions in there. Um, but then also other places have had to have been kept quite quiet um, for reasons of, you know, for those with sensory needs that need maybe space or quiet or maybe don't want to go through an e exhibition space that has, you know, bright projection on it or loud noises or anything like that. And so within that, there's accessibility for those that want alternative routes in terms of they want a bit more of a peaceful route or they don't want to, maybe if they just don't want teams of kids um, down a corridor and they just want to take you know an, another route there's that ability to divert around um, so each of the key spaces has more than one route that you can take um, but also those in a wheelchair or those with accessibility issues um, all of the ramps before were you know very steep um, now they've been kept to the, like, the least gradient possible so as flat as we can um, to make them more easily accessible plus the new lift that goes up you know right to the third floor at uh, the top floor sorry so it means that um, there's a whole space there that everybody's able to access and that equality of access but also quality of experience creating something with something for everyone is really really important part of any modern museum and within the museum itself it's it's not about all tech either i think that's what's been i think people may be concerned about that you know we're just going to turn it into a sort of um, something that's got projectors everywhere and it's not that there is tech and you do need to have tech um, but you also need to have traditional people want to see objects they want to see the real thing and so it's a fine balance between that but you know robin the creator who led on that side of things has done an amazing job in terms of that you know as you'll know the huge maritime heritage and story that we've got to tell within actually quite a small building you know the maritime museum is actually quite a small building um relatively compared to most modern day museums so it's what you can pack in and how you do that um but it's also about making sure that there is things like qr codes to academic resources so that if you want to go into more detail you can you can scan that and go and read at your leisure at home as well so it's about using technology carefully and using it that it adds value to the experience but doesn't detract from essentially some of the really really core parts of what you'd expect from a museum um, experience which is having been able to have you know get up close and see the real thing in terms of the objects themselves so how how does how does the accessibility goals of the project translate onto something that's maybe slightly more difficult to get accessibility to which is historic ships so how because i know it's still it's still been a key part of the restoration of the two vessels yeah that you're doing that it so how is that's obviously must have been a challenge to sort of work around the goal of having accessible uh, attractions but also dealing with the fact that you've got you know, an X amount, X long vessel that you've got, yeah. an even more limited space. Yeah, well, the brilliant thing is both ships have got access that they didn't have before. You know, before they were museum attractions, but they didn't have accessibility um, 
wasn't because it because of the refurbishment works that we're doing we can take advantage of that to provide better access so the arctic corsair actually has a new lift that's going in that means that um those in wheelchairs can actually or with prams and buggies can actually get access into the f- um, fish hold it, itself and that itself and it, it adds so much to experience because i don't think until uh, personally when i went down there for the first time I couldn't believe the scale of it and also trying to understand practically how it worked. And I think sometimes it becomes much clearer when you can f- visually see it, really experience it rather than, you know, video is great um, and it's an important part of it. But being able to actually go down into the fish hold itself and experience just the scale of it, but also I suppose the atmosphere that would have been down there as well. Um, so that's really important and really exciting part of the refurbishment of the Arctic Corsair. Again, for Spurn Lightship, there's access in terms of um, those in a wheelchair, again, um, have level access onto the deck, so they're able to get onto the deck. But there's also a room with interpretation. There it's pretty difficult to get people down and um, into the the into the inside of the hull itself um but it doesn't mean that they can't understand life on board through um there's a projection room like an interpretation room in there that has a video about what life was like on board and what you can see down down within the hull so we have that there's also an opportunity now with um, having um a ladder access up into the lantern itself so again it's just another part of the spare night ship that people didn't have access to before but will now as it's a new part of the experience so well, that's amazing. You know, it's an amazing part that I just know that people absolutely love being able to experience the ship in a different way. What struck me is it's all part of making this for the people of the, of the city. And I think you've mentioned it, obviously, with it being one of the benefits of in local firms, you can keep that community connection to the things that are going on. But I suppose the community and, and the people of Hull have, have also been important to the way that you're delivering now and in terms of how you engage go out and engage with communities but also you know one of the real you know the, the real shining parts of the, of the project is is the volunteering community that it's created in terms of we've mentioned the, the guided tours um but also the, all the other smaller sort of volunteering so, so how important has has volunteering and, and getting the community into the project to be a part of not just the result but the process to get to that end goal yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, we're again, we have a volunteer manager, Tom, that looks after the volunteers and makes sure that they are briefed at every point in the project. And they're absolutely fundamental to the success of this project, both in terms of the, as with the, the delivery now, but especially really come to the fore when these um, sites open in terms of simply you know helping people out, navigate their way around a new um, exhibition, um, but also... Um, telling the story you know, some of them have you know worked on some of these vessels they've been involved in them um they've been involved in their maintenance and care over several you know many years so protecting that is a really important part of that and, and getting people involved so um yeah it's a really important part of the project we take it very seriously we report quarterly um to the lottery about the number of volunteer hours that's taken place um you know they've been getting involved in helping maintain some of the museum collection we, you know, we have a couple of times a week that are able to come along and actually handle objects and help us clean them and and care for them um they're doing the the, te- the 
um, the walking tours and getting trained up in that. We're just about to do some more um, procurement for more training packages for them um, to make sure that we've got a really professional set of volunteers that care passionately about the project and able to shout about it when these assets open. You know, that's the key thing. It, it, they, they add to people's visitor experiences without a doubt. So, yeah, we we've take volunteering very, very seriously on the project. Yeah, I, I, I just had a quick question as a non-maritime historian um, something that always interests me when museums go through these sort of periods of of restructuring um, is is whether you're um, sort of approaching different ways of displaying certain items and objects because um from from memory of going to the museum as a as a kid growing up in Hull there's a uh, quite a few indigenous pieces from Canada and um just whether you've sort of there's been an active effort to sort of change how those are presented in the museum, whether they need to be changed in how they're presented. Um. Yeah, it's really interesting. Actually, Robin, our curator, um, has recently been to Canada um, as an opportunity for filming with Inuit communities. Um, it's something that he worked for months and months planning very, very carefully to get it right um, and was delivered through um, key contacts within the Inuit community um, from their perspective. Um, so Robin was able to take along lots of images of our collection um, and actually learn from them how they were used, the significance to their culture and society. Um, and actually some of it found out a lot of extra detail for us to add into the um, interpretation of the, those collections. So they were able to, for example, there's a pair of you know, Inuit little boots um, and they were able to tell us exactly the area that they would have been made. And actually some of the stuff that we thought um, was from Canada actually turned out to be from Greenland for example and those types of information is invaluable for making sure that the collection and the interpretation of that collection um, has been dealt with sensitively and accurately and they're actually also able to tell us about their experiences of using them from first hand so um, we have commissioned a film that's now being produced over the next year um, by a really up-and-coming um, director from the Inuit community and that will be on display and shown within the Maritime Museum itself. So it was an amazing opportunity um, for, for Robin to visit, a trip of a lifetime. Robin came back and told us all about it and you know it's incredibly emotional at times um, learning about that community and, and actually sometimes the links that, that to Hull really because actually ultimately the rural maritime um, you know communities and there was an awful lot of a uh, completely different part of the world and and you know d their culture is completely different there was actually so much similarity that Robin came back and told us about in terms of looking after each other and that camaraderie that they have as a community that you know we had and have in Hull so yeah so it, it was a really amazing part of the project and something that you know again we're really proud to to promote as part of this whole maritime project that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for you know funding and doing something major like we are with this project i think that touches on something that, that i've thought about is the fact that as with all as with all major projects like this that, that touch on topics that people care about so much there's probably i know there's been a f almost a fear of they felt they were losing their old maritime museum but i suppose that you know the, the benefit of the things that we've been talking about there is is that the museum and the products that the, that will come back are things that they will recognize mm. it's still the museum that that always was but it's filled with so much more that help tell the stories of the things that they would have seen before and i think even something as as simple as what you do with a whale skeleton 
and how that's displayed because I know that's always been the, like where, where you're taking where you're taking the skeleton or where you're taking the polar bear. Mm. It's things like that. It's those exhibits that people immediately remember that yeah. they will be back. Yeah. But it's I think building the picture that goes with them that helped tell a much much greater story and, and shows as you said how connected we are to places all over the world that many of us will never have visited and many of us never will yeah that absolutely um it's always been we've always been clear it has to be you know something for everyone um so we need variety but we we need to make sure that we we are you know a, a museum at the same time so people be able to see Eric the polar bear which I get asked every time you know somebody says Eric coming back yes Eric the polar bear is coming back the mermaid will be coming back and but also great things that we were able to do for example lockdown was a really difficult time in terms of for everybody um and it we did something called the people's choice um where we did through social media polls um on the um, items that people wanted to see back in the museum so um, there's a section of the museum that will actually have exhibits that the public themselves have voted for in terms of what were their favourite items and what s- means something to them. Um, so there's opportunities like that for for making sure that it's tailored to experience through actually understanding through. I mean, that we the the response we got to that poll was incredible, you know, and it was and it went on for you know several days and weeks to make sure that um you know we had quite a selection of options but then actually through doing that people learned about the collection online remotely when we weren't able to get access to it and that's quite a difficult thing with the collection for for me being um i suppose locked away in boxes currently is about how do we still engage with that collection why is it still important so for example the currently we have artists working on the project and that's really unique aspect of the project um is the bespoke piece of artwork that's being produced for the museum both in terms of like the new reception desk and seating throughout is by a specialist furniture maker that does beautiful bent wood using steam um but also Heinrich and Palmer who did ship of the gods as part of the whole 2017 so they've had very high resolution scans done of numerous items in the collection and they'll then um they can manipulate them and do different things um that arty whiz stuff on it that makes them you know amazing new um exhibits and um interesting parts of the museum to engage you know younger audiences but also those you know um i suppose displaying them in a different way and people engaging with them in a different way through forms of art as well so that's the you know for me it's it's about the collections but it's also about that experience in the building itself and about having something that makes that for one person they might want to literally go and read you know a, a lot of text on something that's not for everybody some people don't want to read any text um one thing it's also really um and a unique part of the project was now having um accessible symbols created um, for those that maybe have lower literacy levels or um, for younger audiences, they can use those um, different symbols around the um, museum to navigate and understand it. And it helps them engage with the museum in a different, you know, in a better way. And that, that wasn't provided before. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's about variety, but it's about not letting go of the traditional value of actually, actually what a museum is. Yeah, so it's keep keeping the museum that people loved and and exhibits that people loved mm. but also telling them the new, new information about different exhibits that then you, you may uh, you may come to the museum with an idea of what you used to remember as a kid and what your favorite exhibit was then maybe leaving with one that's completely different that you never thought of and i think that's 
the the strength of the mm. project is is the level of detail that's going into this sort of thing yeah i think that's what tech brings as well to be honest it does mean that you can change stuff regularly and relatively cost effectively um you know projection is actually quite cheap really the projectors themselves are expensive but what you you know the data you put into them is actually quite easily changed um so for us we can keep things adapting and changing so that people are seeing different things not every time but you know it's something that you regularly can change to make sure that there's new experiences for those repeat visitors yeah so a nice gentle question to what sort of bring us to an end really is i've loved working in in the voluntary capacity with with the project i suppose for you what's been maybe a the most challenging aspect that you found and then also what's been the most rewarding what's been the most exciting or surprising part of of the work that you've been able to do yeah I I honestly think I've got the best job in the world I I pinch myself that I'm working on this project um as I'm a project manager that's what I do um but this is just so much more than that you know the heritage side of it for any project for me um I take really really seriously in terms of 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 understanding it myself so I as much as possible will try and understand and find out and research myself and try and um, make sure that I know what makes that in heritage asset or you know item or whatever it is you know whether it be a ship or whether it be the museum or whether it be um, you know even the the what we're doing in Hull Marina and the relevance of spare night ship coming back there um, for me it's really important that you understand the asset and quite often you find the asset like talks to you as well in terms of us as a project what it is that they want how they want to be protected and how they want to be portrayed so I know that sounds a bit bonkers but it's amazing how I find every project that I've ever worked on has had a personality and the more you work on that project the more layers of that personality you get to understand and it was the same, I, I delivered Pearson Park before this. And again, I wanted to know so much about Pearson Park. I wanted to know about Zachariah Pearson. I wanted to understand why he wanted that park there, what it meant to that community in the Avenues area. And and so the more you get to experience a project, the more layers you understand, and the more you see its depth and about its personality. And Hull Maritime has this incredible personality. It's such a rich personality. It's something that shouts and screams about how important it is. And, and it's it's that beating heart of Hull that having something, um, uh, you know, some part in that for me is an enormous privilege. It really is an enormous privilege. And I never get that Sunday night feeling. I never get that Monday morning feeling. I honestly absolutely love everything I do about this project. Those And, and because I've got that, mindset and that that passion for it the challenges are coming they we have daily challenges something that you know we don't expect to come up or something that we need to maybe navigate around in a different way um, but we've got an amazing team an absolutely amazing team of people that care so much about what they're doing i'm surrounded by a team that just want to get this right for you know for the project um but for hull and for the assets themselves you know these are such when you've got a ship, you know, two ships that are on a national register, um, that's really important to protect them themselves. But it's not just about protecting them in terms of the metal work and you know making sure that they're dry. It's about telling their story as well. And and we've got a team that work together so closely to make sure that we get it right. So 
yeah, it's an amazing, amazing opportunity, once in a lifetime opportunity for me, to be honest. I, I can't imagine ever working on a project like this ever again. I hope I do, but I honestly cannot imagine that there's anything like this out there in the world, especially not on my doorstep. You know, I live here, so being able to shape something and protect something for, you know, my children to come and see and then potentially their children and their children, you know, it's, it's amazing and it's a privilege and, you know, something that I myself take very seriously, but can guarantee that the whole team do um and yeah it's it's a fantastic project yeah i think the the, the passion is is obvious when, when no matter who you talk to from the team the the love of of, of the stories that were that you're telling and, and the, the projects that are being delivered it's, it, it comes through straight away and i think you know as as, as a volunteer that, that that gets to help out it, that's it comes to us through that as well so yeah i suppose the obvious thing to end it is end with is is where can people find more information the updates about things that are going on yeah so we have very active social media um feed so twitter instagram facebook we've also got um the whole maritime um website as well so everything goes on um, all of those channels um so the website is regularly updated with information um and yes and social media so yeah and the only thing i'll, I'll add to that is if, if you do fancy a guided tour you might even be fortunate enough or, or unfortunate enough to find me waiting for you. But they're always good fun to help learn about where the project is at, you know, at, at that point in time. But I suppose fr from both of us, thanks very much, Jill, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And yeah, we'll look forward to seeing everybody on, on the next episode of, of Roycecast.